I'm going through Malachi on a Sunday evening when I'm preaching, but we've reached the stage where uh, we're using it as a springboard to look at uh, family life. In Malachi, the crux of the problem is that they, are, they have drifted. Not that they are drifting, they still are, but they have drifted from reality. And they're left with a shell of religion. And may God preserve me and you and us as a church from that. It's a dreadful situation to end up in where all we have is our coming and going, stand up, sit down, sing hymns, uh, do activities, but we could all carry on without him and uh, we don't really miss his presence or really seek his presence. We're getting on with business as usual. What it leads to is a harshness and a carelessness and uh, a sloppiness and um, something which really the world has no interest in at all. What the world is seeking is some reality. You know, I, I guess, and um, just talking with the elders, another mission, I think it was in Nottingham, someone was sharing about where um, a lot of students came to the events week as well. And uh, one student was saying, well, this is really, really, really interesting. But is it real? Is it true? Is it really true? Now, you and I ought to be the expression that it is true. That something really has changed. There's a power at work that transforms us from the petty little things of the, uh, the, the, the base things of, of life and little disputes that people get involved in and taking sides and party spirit. There's something very wonderful where the Spirit of God is powerfully at work. Little things fall into the background. And the main things really do become the plain things. And it's Jesus Christ and Him crucified that matters. And, uh, well, I want to get through some of this uh, tonight. I don't want to go off on a tangent uh, too much. But that's what's happened in Malachi's time. They've lost touch with the living God, with reality. And their worship that was taking place, although it was still temple worship, we've seen this, been through uh, these verses, but it's very perfunctory and uh, sloppy. Service, active service was very half-hearted. And the people were saying, well, really, what is the point? Does God ever see? What is the point of doing these things? But a deep expression of this drift that expressed in family life, that it was crumbling. Uh, men were divorcing their wives and uh, marrying foreign women. And the casualty oh, was the family and certainly the children. And so in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15, we have these words, but did he, that's God, not make them one, the husband and the wife, having a remnant of the Spirit? So the two became one plus the Holy Spirit. What a powerful uh, work has been done there. Did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? Uh, and why one? He seeks Godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not 
deal treacherously. We thought about marriage and what it is. We thought about how to find a wife uh, we thought, or a husband. We thought about uh, the gift of, of singleness. And now we're focusing on bringing up children. Why does God desire good, stable marriages? Well, He desires godly children. that They should thrive in family life. And so we're in that particular area. And uh, last time we thought about stability. Stability. What children need is uh, a godly mum and a godly dad who obviously love each other. They love the Lord Jesus Christ. They love the local church where they uh, attend. And in that safe and secure environment, there's every chance that they can survive and thrive in the things uh, of God. And um, I think I covered this, but yes, I did cover this. And we've, um, we've gone from Malachi chapter 2, and we're here in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. And it's addressed particularly to fathers, but clearly mothers are included here. We're in partnership together, husband and wife, mother and father. And you fathers then, here's the injunction, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Now, all I got through last time was looking at the, the need for a stable family. Mum and dad, clearly loving the Lord, loving each other, loving the local church where they attend and they serve. That's stability. Stability. But we're looking to make progress tonight and think about this injunction. Do not provoke your children to wrath. And I think we'll get as far as that this evening and then next time, God willing, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Let me again emphasize the importance of that stability. Now, marriage is not easy. There are couples here who are engaged. We're talking to a couple this afternoon who are engaged to get married uh, this summer. And uh, it's lovely. Uh, the plans and the hopes and the desires... And there's clearly a deep affection and, and a love uh, that's there. But when it comes to the two becoming one, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy. And we need that remnant of the Spirit. And His power, His divine power, has given us all that we need for life and godliness, including that area of the two becoming one. So to stay close to Him. My greatest need in uh, my marriage is to keep focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my wife's greatest need as well. Focused on Him, loving Him who first loved me, first and foremost. Then that love of God shed abroad in my heart to my wife, my children, my, my church family, uh, my neighbor. And who is my neighbor? Who should I love? Anybody who crosses my path. That was the answer in the parable of the Good Samaritan. But marriage isn't always easy. And my wife was telling me a story about uh, Alistair Begg. And whenever Jill is uh, maybe driving in the car by herself, uh, she listens to Alistair Begg. He's a pastor, Scottish pastor, ministering for the last 35 years and, and more in, in America. But he's got a website, Truth for Life, and an app as well. Always worth uh, listening to Alistair Begg. But he's talking on marriage and he said, I get many couples who come into the vestry after a service 
And uh, they say to me, oh, pastor, pastor, we, we've got problems in our marriage. And uh, he says this, and uh, he, say, he does this and does that. And then the wife has a go, yeah, but what about him? He does this and he does that. And Alistair looked at them both, and he said, well, yes, this is the worse. This is the worse. You promised for better or for worse. This is the worse. Get on with it. Just get on with it. The promises that you made, it's not always going to be good. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. This is the worse. Get on with it. You promised. He said, I don't get many youngsters coming to me for marriage counselling, having given that advice. But it is true. It's not always easy. And how we need the grace of God. Did he not make the two one with a remnant of the Spirit. So that's stability. Now let's move on then to uh, this first part of Ephesians 6 and verse 4. God desiring godly offspring. What lovely prayers in those hymns uh, about our children. We could take those and, and pray them day by day if we're parents. We could take those hymns and pray them as members of the church on behalf of the children of the church. Isn't it wonderful to have so many uh, children with us? It would be great to see more out on a, a Sunday evening. I'm looking around, I don't see... <laughs> oh, you're a child, are you, sir? Oh, yes. Oh, there's quite a few actually looking around. They're sprinkled around the church. It'd be great to see uh, more in the uh, evening service uh, as well. So, what lovely hymns. How wonderful it is to be blessed with children in the life of the church. And as church members, we need to be praying for the children of the church, whether or not we have children of our own. We are trusted with many children here in the life of the church. But now to parents in particular. And we could apply it to every church member here also. Do not provoke your children to wrath or to anger. The Greek word is a, a, a rich one. Uh, do not stir up rage in your children. The translation puts it this way. I think this is a very good one. Uh, parents, mums and dads, fathers, church members, do not exasperate your children. Now, children are small. They're, they're not very strong, and we are, we are bigger than them. And when we say it's bedtime, there's not much they can do about it. There may be one or two tantrums, but we can, we can lay down the law. We're bigger than them. We're stronger than them. They find it hard to argue. We've got the arguments. We can articulate things very well. And sometimes they feel exasperated by what's going on around and about them. So the injunction here to parents in particular Take it as a church member as well. We've been entrusted with many children in the life of the church. Don't act in such a way that your children become exasperated. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21, we got a similar 
sort of a verse there, a little bit different. Children, obey your parents in all things, uh, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Don't provoke them, lest they become discouraged. Again, a, a, a rich Greek word, discouraged, disheartened, dismayed. Oh, how sad that children might be disheartened and dismayed because of the behaviour of a father, a mother, or a church member who's bigger than them. Another way of putting this word, uh, discouraged, disheartened, dismayed, crushed. Don't crush your children. You know, in some circles, particularly in cultish circles, children who are almost cowering, they've lost their spirit, there's a fear there, their eyes are moving around. Oh, don't, don't crush these little ones. The Lord Jesus Christ treasured and thought very much about little children, putting them in his arms and, and blessing them. Let the little children come to me. Great warnings against uh, leading little ones astray. Oh, better say, Jesus, a millstone was uh, hung around your neck and you were thrown into the depths of the sea rather than you discourage one of these little ones. Now, I've got a few ways here, and the, the main one is the first one, whereby we might um, exasperate our children or discourage them. The first one, it's the biggest one that I'll mention tonight, <coughs> is the area <coughs> of neglect. Neglect. And neglect can happen in many ways. With some <coughs> children, it's obvious, <coughs> and they're spotted at school, they're neglected. Maybe they're dirty or unwashed or, or tatty, and uh, they're a bit rebellious and they're, they're looked out for. But there are many ways that this area of neglect can happen. Let me just emphasize again, I'm sure I said this last time. If you're a parent here, then your chief ministry, while those children are in your home, is them. As your chief ministry. There's a, a couple that we know uh, in St. Melons, they were converted a few years back now, fairly recently, just four or five years back. They had two little children. Now they have four little children. The husband works, the mum stays at home and uh, looking after the, the children, all in uh, primary school as one uh, little baby. And uh, the chap, he's, he's keen to serve, but doesn't have the ability at the moment. He's, he's working and he's coming home and the wife has been with the children all day long. Now listen to say to them, your chief ministry at the moment is those children. Don't neglect your children by prioritizing other things. Give to your children, well we give our children many things. <clears throat> so here we are, a husband and a wife, what do we give our children? Well, Money is provided to buy them things and possessions and, and stuff. The children are given a home. They're given an education. They're encouraged in uh, sport and music and the, the arts. But what your children need more than anything else is you. You. They need you. They need your time. Time, attention and focus. They want you to spend time with them, to play 
with them, to get down on the floor and to do a jigsaw, to do uh, the Playmobil, building that relationship, showing that you do care, you are interested. Uh, they want you to read to them before they go to bed or maybe during the day. They bring a little book up and uh, they hold the book up to you and they want to come and read, read. Oh, I haven't got time for that. How, how crushing. How crushing. There they are, a, a gift from God to you. In a sense, they're not your children. They're His. They're His. His gift to you that you might bring them up in the fear and the knowledge of the Lord uh, Himself. And you must see it as your number one priority, raising those children. Play with them, read with them, teach them, listen to them about the things that they've been doing, their hopes, their worries, their fears. Watch them. Now, the nativity play comes around. Have you got time to go and watch? I've been to so many. And now I'm doing the rounds again with the grandchildren. It's... Uh, it's lovely to have the opportunity uh, to do that. Sports. Oh, Jill and I just love going up to Newtown and cheering the kids on the touchline. And uh, my older two grandsons, really good footballers, look out for Christophides in the Wales team in a few years uh, to come. And uh, we love to be there. And the parents are there watching them on the touchline, correcting them, shaping them, training them, disciplining them when they go astray. I would add we need to do that within the laws it is here within Wales. Certain things we can no longer do. But under God's hand, there's much that can still be done to train them and to discipline in a right way. So, time, time. Now, you might well say um, that I, I just have no time. I have to say, there's no way that can be right. There's no way that can be right. God will not give to you a task and deny you the resources to carry out that task. If he has made you a father and a mother, you will have the resources to carry out your God-given mandate to raise those children and not to exasperate them. No time, I'd say, no way. You might say, well, I, I do have time, but you know, it's all taken up with church activities. I'd say that's wrong. That has to be wrong. Your number one priority as a parent is raising those children while they are with you. It's almost like the, uh, the, the core band that, Je that Jesus Christ himself called the Pharisees out over. Oh, I would look after my parents, but I've paid a certain amount of money to the temple. Therefore, what I owed to my parents, I no longer owe them. So um, uh, that's my responsibility. My hands have been washed. No good saying, well, look, I can see I ought to be training my children, but I'm heavily involved in the life of the church and its activities. I've no time. I'm too busy with the church. That has to be wrong. <clears throat> now, I want to be careful about what I say. It might provoke some uh, discussion or, or thought. I don't think we should be running church meetings and heavily relying on parents who have young children. All right, let me say that again. I don't think we should be running church meetings and heavily relying on parents who have young children 
to do those meetings. I think we have to think very carefully about that. Parents, number one priority, raising those children. I have no time. I'm so involved in church work. Remember being uh, newly married and living in London, a little church we went to in the east end of London, and uh, we had the two children, and I worked long hours and getting a bus and a tube and another bus and getting back. I'd leave at six in the morning, get back maybe six in the, in the evening, and Jules had the children all day, and I'd say something like, oh, well, I, I've, just, I've just got to get out to the midweek meeting now. Is that always right? Is that always right? What about some help there in the home? I've got to uh, get to the YPF meeting. I, I became the YPF uh, leader, and every Friday, and often Saturdays. And also here in my first stint in the life of the church, three children, then on to four children, the number of camps I did every summer. I wonder if that was wise now, looking back. God has been kind. God has been gracious. But to see our number one priority is to raise our children, to give them time. And if my excuse is, oh, it's the church meetings taking up my time, that has to be wrong. Now, if, here's something for you then, who don't have children and still have a, a little bit of vigor, uh, I look at my, myself now, 65 if we're going to say that uh, parents of young children shouldn't be giving all their time to running meetings at the expense of spending time with their own children, who's going to do those meetings? Well, it would be people like me. And I enjoy going on a Friday night and seeing the uh, kids' club and its uh, activities there and all the kiddies and uh, getting involved in, in the games and uh, running here and running there, listening to the stories, singing the songs. Is it something you could be involved in? It's an area of service that you might give. Uh, it's great to have students there helping uh, and involved. What a great help that is too. So to say I don't have time, I'm too busy with the church is plain wrong. What about I have no time because, uh, well, I, I need my leisure time. I, I need to play golf and get out to the rugby and to uh, watch different things. Again, that's got to be wrong. Your priority is raising your children. What about work itself? Well, that raises many questions. I'm too busy to have time with my children because I'm so busy with work. Well, if that's your situation, I sympathize. There are times where maybe you have to work and to do the overtime, but why are you doing the overtime? If sadly in our day and generation it's to meet the necessities to pay the power bill, to put basic food on the table, I have every sympathy and the Lord understands and he'll make up the difference. But if it's working those extra hours to the expense of not being with your children in order to pay for another expensive holiday, the kids have got to go abroad, they've got to go to Disneyland, they've got to go to this place and that place, they've got to have this special equipment. I'd say that's plain wrong. What your children need is not the gifts, they need you. They need you. Don't exasperate your children. Don't crush them. Give them your time. Another thing I mentioned, and moving on, that was the major thing. We exasperate our children if we fail to treat them equally. There should be no 
favourites. If you have several children, there should be no favourites. Now, that's difficult. I speak as a father, and I'm looking at my children. I'm thinking about my grandchildren, six children, 13 grandchildren. Some have got that wonderful, winsome spark. I can't express any favouritism. Maybe something that warms my heart in one and discourages me in another. I must treat them all equally. They must know they have equal access to dad and to granddad, and they're all equally loved. Not to show favoritism. Now, of course, Jacob went wrong here, and uh, it caused great problems when he highly favored Joseph over his brothers, and his brothers found that most exasperating. No, no favorites. Another one, another area where we can exasperate our children is uh, the area of inconsistency. Inconsistency in rules that we might lay down. Parenting must be consistent. And mum and dad must work on that together. And children are very clever at trying to play mum off against dad or dad off against mum. Dad, dad, can I? Now my first question, your first question must be, have you asked your mum about this? Yes. Well, what did she say? She said no. Well, I'm saying no as well. But why? But why? And that's going to come on to another section, uh, we'll, which we'll finish with uh, shortly, the, the endless whys. But we need to be consistent. We need to work as a team, mum and dad together. <clears throat> and parenting with an aim in view. Always have an aim in view parents and what is your aim well what you've been given are sinners they are not believers we can't treat them as believers they are sinners they're, they're born as we saw this morning with a default towards sin the demerits of Adam they've inherited sin from you and you from your parents and so all the way back to Adam as we saw this morning but there is hope, isn't there? There's hope. Are you saved here tonight? Children, are you saved? There's hope in the gospel. And for you, your parents are praying and they're nurturing and they're moving. Why do they bring you to church? Why do you go to kids' club? Why do they read the Bible to you, the endless wise? Why, why are we doing this? Parents, take it as an opportunity to express to them why you're doing these things. And to do that, you need to know why yourself. You want them to be saved. You want them to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Daddy, mummy, why? Why are we going twice on a Sunday? Do I have to go to Sunday school? Do I really have to go to kids' club? Now, it's great to have them at kids' club. You know, they have a wonderful gospel message. And if they haven't got friends at the moment, that's where they're going to make friends, and they will. And it's a lovely, friendly atmosphere, isn't it, Math? It's great. And the games we play and the songs that we sing... And we've sung one or two for you here on a Sunday morning. They're wonderful uh, songs of gospel truth. Daddy, why? Why? Well, be consistent. Don't give in. Keep on because you've got an aim in view. And that aim is that they might know the Lord Jesus Christ. They might know him as their saviour. Let me recommend this book uh, again to you. I've seen now, Robin, where are you? I've seen you somewhere. He's around. Oh, there we are. He's on the, the deck at the back. A few more copies of this have come in, haven't they? 
Now, here's a book by uh, Paul David Tripp, which I wish I'd read 30-odd years ago, simply called Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family. I'm telling you, it, it can. I've read them. I've been very challenged, looking to apply them to my grandchildren now as well, and to uh, recommend it to many people. Get a copy. If you're a parent, get a copy. Uh, read it through prayerfully and carefully. Every chapter is, I'd say, helpfully challenging. It's not condemning. There are things you can start to... It reshapes your thinking. What am I doing as a parent? And here's the chief thing. What is my aim in consistency to lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me give one final uh, thought here before we, we close. Another exasperating area can be uh, thoughtless answers to their endless whys. They can be exasperating. Why, why, why? Why are we going? Why are we doing? Now, what's exasperating is if we just are thoughtless in our answers. Because I say so, get in the car. Well, now they generally want to know. Because I say so, well, you are bigger than them. You, you can act like a bully. It's sad. It's crushing. It's exasperating for them. What can they? I really want, but I really want to know. Just do as you're told. Because I say so. Or because this is what the pastor says we need to do. Well, what a cop-out. I'm not going to answer you, but the pastor says it, so I'm saying it to you, and you jolly well better follow it. No, that's, that's hopeless as well. And well, it's what we do as a church. That's no good. That's exasperating. That's what we do. Well, why? Why? Now, every why is an opportunity to teach and to lead and to guide and to shape them. It's an opportunity to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, why do we go to church? Why Sunday school? Why the kids club? Why do you read the Bible to us? Why do we have to say prayers before we eat our food? Every question is an opportunity for you to sit down. They've asked. Well, since you ask, come here. Let me tell you just why. And you better know why. We want them to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We want them to come to know the Saviour. And the only way is through the means of grace that he's given to us. So we're putting you in the way of these things. And we want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They might come back with a question, well, is he worth knowing? It's very challenging then to you and to me as parents and to us as church members. What do we portray of the Lord Jesus Christ to our children? Do we make him somebody worth knowing? Why do we do this? Well, let me tell you, little Johnny, what he's done for me. And this is how he's changed my life. Yes, Daddy, I can see. You're not like daddies in the school. Lots of daddies have left their mummies. And I know some mummies who've left their daddies. But, and I, knew, I do know you, you lovers, and it's lovely having a home that's safe and secure. So thank you. I understand that now. Thank you for taking time. What an opportunity. Remember the, I think I read from Joshua last time I was in this uh, section, how Joshua was commanded by God, take one from each tribe to take a stone from the river Jordan bed that's now dried up and put those stones on the, on the other bank. And when your children ask in the future generations, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them how God led you 
out to the desert and into the promised land. Daddy, have, you, have your children asked you for your testimony? Have you shared it with them? Well, pray for such opportunities, the endless wise. Let me finish by saying this. Don't you get exasperated about the consequences of your God-given duties to point your children towards the Lord Jesus Christ. We do what we can, and God expects us to do what we can. He doesn't expect us to do what we can't. Remember a saying of uh, Spurgeon that um, obedience is ours, the consequences are left with God. What have we got to do with consequences? Our place is to obey. So we do what we can, and that's to lead them, to point them, to set an example. In school, it came from America, it's come to Britain, they have these show and tell sessions. Please show us and tell us about it. Well, we tell our children about the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we showing them Him? Are we showing them Him? Another challenge again, it comes back to that. What is my life like? Do I have that joy? Has He made a difference to me that my children really would desire for themselves? Let's work together on these wonderful things. We do what we can. We point, but we can't do. And God doesn't expect us to do what we cannot do. That's convert them. And sanctify them. That belongs to God alone. Which is why we pray. We pray individually, pray as families. Let's pray increasingly. It's good to hear this note in the church prayer meetings, praying for the children of the church. Let me leave it there for this evening. The first session we looked at stability and the vital need for that. Then we looked at this do not, the negatives, exasperate your children. Next time, God willing, but bring them up in the fear and in the knowledge of the Lord. How do we go about the positives in raising our children? Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for a brief time in your word. We pray for every parent and grandparent here. Pray for every church member who has contact with children that we might be wonderful examples to them of the joy and the glory of what it means to be a saved child of God that they might envy these things and seek them for themselves and early in their lives come to know and to love the Lord Jesus Christ in an unmistakable way. To God be the glory, we pray. Amen. Well, let's sing a final hymn. I think it's the one I quoted before the, uh, the sermon. Yes. Our children, Lord, in faith and prayer, we now present to thee. Let them thy covenant mercy share and thy salvation see.
remind you of the after meeting. Uh, do go there, tea, coffee, in a time of fellowship, and then uh, an address from Dr. Davis. Let's pray. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.